Good afternoon, listeners. This is the DOGS program. The Australian Council for Defence of Government Schools have been here every week since 1987 to defend and to promote public education. And uh, we have quite a big uh, schedule for you today. First of all, we've got our press release 884, in which we'll be having a look at the selective hearing problem that the Federal Minister, Mr Tudge, has got. He's got a tin ear, I think they call it, when it comes to funding uh, of public schools in particular. So we'll be talking about that and uh, Trev what Trevor Cobalt has to say about the idea that Mr Tudge has that the funding wars are over. Dale uh, will be helping us with that and so will uh, Maddie and Sorrel. But um, Oliver's then going to tell us what the AEU have been up to. They are also talking about um, every school, every child school funding campaign. We'll find out a bit about that. And Sorrel is going to tell us a little bit more about Finland, where education is a basic civil right. And this week we're going back to what we did uh, earlier, we're going to have a great state school. So stick around to find out the great state school for this week. Uh, Maddie has got something very interesting to tell us there. So let's get ahead with our press release 884, which will be up on our website at www.adogs.info. Selective hearing problem for the Federal Minister Touch because he claims that the funding wars for education are over. The new Minister for Education, Alan Tudge, like his Prime Minister, is too set in his Canberra bubble to hear the anger of public school parents, teachers and advocates about funding problems. In a March 11, 2021 speech, entitled Being Our Best, Returning Australia to the Top Group of Education Nations, the Federal Minister for Education and Youth, first of all, well, he did a number of things, but first of all, he reiterated the egalitarian rhetoric with its privatisation get-out clauses referring to excellence. And this is what he said. Maddie is going to be Mr Tudge for us. Thank you, Jean. In Do your best. <laughs> uh, I shall. In 2019, the education ministers of every state and territory, along with the then Federal Education Minister, came together to issue the Alice Springs in Partway Declaration. The declaration, the fourth of its kind, set out a clear ambition. Our vision is for a world-class education system that encourages and supports every student to be the very best they can be, no matter where they live or what kind of learning challenges they may face. I have a long-standing deep commitment to this vision, and as the Federal Minister for Education as of late last year, I commit myself and our government to this central aspiration, to give every individual the opportunity to reach their potential. To achieve this aspiration, we must focus on excellence as well as equity in education. 
So there you have it. Mr. Tudge wants it both ways. He wants this thing called excellence, whatever on earth that is, and he wants equity as well. Well, we all know that excellence is code for private schools and equity is, uh, is code actually for what the public schools offer, which is equality of opportunity, but it's certainly not what the private schools are um, offering. So already we've got a problem. We've got his motherhood statements, and he's right, they've been, this statement is the fourth time it's been made since the 1990s. There was a Melbourne declaration, there was a Hobart declaration, there's an Alice Springs declaration, uh, and uh, I think there was one in Darwin, I'm not sure. But um, that's Mr Tudge for you, plenty of motherhood statements. Now, secondly, Mr Tudge has bemoaned the stark facts that Australia has fallen badly behind in the last few decades. He can mouth off about excellence as much as he likes. Australia's falling behind. Over to you, Maddie, as Mr Tudge. Since 2000, Australia's performance is in reading has declined by 26 points, or the equivalent of nine months of schooling. In maths, we have fallen 33 points since 2003, or by 14 months of schooling. In science, we have fallen 24 points since 2006, or by 11 months of schooling. This decline has been consistent across different groups of students. Our top students are less likely to score in the highest achievement bands and our lower performing students are more likely to have fallen below the proficient standard. The problem is not a growing divide in student results. It is a decline in performance across the board. As our student results have fallen, we have dropped behind more and more countries. In the early 2000s, we ranked fourth internationally in reading, eighth in science and 11th in maths. By 2018, we had fallen to 16th in reading, 17th in science and 29th in maths. We are being significantly outcompeted in our neighbourhood. For example, Australian students are now, on average, about one and a half years behind Singaporean students when it comes to reading and science and three years behind on maths. But it is not just the Asian Tigers, which is Hong Kong, Singapore, South Korea and Taiwan that have leapt ahead of us. The UK, Canada and New Zealand, all countries we used to outperform in education, are now ahead of us on all three assessment domains. If this was our economy, the decline would be a national topic of conversation. Perhaps the lack of attention is because the decline has been gradual rather than sudden. But when viewed over a 20-year period, it is profound and it will have consequences for our long-term productivity and competitiveness if we cannot lift our education performance. Now, the interesting thing about that is that even the top students in the very wealthy schools are falling behind. So all of that enormous amount of money that's going into the wealthy schools is not even getting good results. Um, and meanwhile, disadvantaged children are having less and less money put into their education and they're falling behind as well. So instead of looking at the growing inequalities in Australian education, exacerbated by the corresponding inequalities in funding between public and private systems, the state aid cancer in the body politic, Mr Tudge blithely announced. I have watched 
or been involved in the funding debate for many years. And I am pleased that the school funding wars are now over. Fishful <laughs> 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 thinking. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Funding for schools has increased by 38% in real per capita terms over the last decade. The school resourcing standard model for funding schools has been agreed by the Commonwealth with all state and territory governments. Since 2013, the Australian government's school funding has increased in nominal terms by 80% to a record $23.4 billion, and we have committed a further 40% increase to reach $32.8 billion by 2029. The federal funding is locked in and agreed through to the end of the decade. The states and territories will need to live up to their side of the bargain also, but with record funding to all schools, our focus is now on how to use the money, not how much schools should get or the distribution between the sectors. Well, <laughs> um, that's a lot of money, but the question is who's getting it and he doesn't want to talk about that. And the, his, his answer to the schooling problems for Alan Tudge they don't lie with equitable funding of a public system, which is the one that has equity as its objective because it's open to all children, but in the conservative catch cries of discipline, standards, testing and teacher quality. Back to you, Maddie, being Mr Tudge. Yes, he goes on to say, there is no consensus as to why our performance has declined over the last 20 years. That's the true, only true thing he says, yes. Yes, yes, it is. It is certainly not because of a decline in funding. As outlined, our funding has gone up considerably in real per capita terms, while at the same time our standards have declined. Nor is it class sizes, which have steadily declined over the past few decades and are now considerably smaller than other countries that significantly outperform us. Moreover, many of our schools are now brand new with facilities that older generations would look at with envy. But these things don't have as much of an impact as what happens inside the classroom. The quality of the teaching, the rigour of the curriculum and the discipline in the classroom matter most. Well, as I've said before, Alan Tudge is right about one thing. There is no consensus about funding or why it is that we're falling behind. He's taking the conservative stance, but here at 3CR, we get our facts and figures, and we're interested in the realities, not the ideological possibilities of Mr Tudge. Yes. It's not only reasons for the decline in our educational performance that there's no consensus. It's about his assertion that the funding wars are over. This has been the wishful catch cry of politicians since the return of state aid to private schools in 1964. I don't know who hasn't said that the funding wars are over in Canberra. From Mr Whitlam on, you mentioned you, whether it's Labor or Liberal, Mr Hawke or Mr Howard or Mr Keating or Mr Abbott or even Julia Gillard, they all say that the funding wars are over. They're not. Uh, no. uh, from it. Trevor Cobald agrees 
the funding wars are not over, and he's written a blistering attack on the tide of contention in Michael West's independent media. But we'll have a bit of a break before Sorrel tells us what Trevor Cobalt has had to say. You can see that this country is covered in the blood of Aboriginal people, and the length and breadth of it. Australia is a part of an undeclared war and a secret invasion. And again, 250 years ago, this year. Now we have a country that's built on lies, deceit, fraud, propaganda, and race hatred indoctrination. Now it's been 250 years of us being oppressed in our own land, brutally. We might be oppressed, but we understand what freedom is, and we fight for it every day, and we've resisted this occupation since day one. And I predict colonialism, capitalism, imperialism is going to get knocked out cold by about mid this year. Tricia, your station in struggle and solidarity. To donate, go to 3cr.org.au. You're listening to the Dogs Programme. And we're in the middle of press release 884, which is on our website at www.adogs.info. And we've been talking about Mr Tudge and his tin ear. He believes that the funding wars are over. But Trevor Cobalt of Save Our Schools, who is a whiz with facts and figures, is pulling down the facts and figures around Mr Tudge's ears. Unfortunately, Mr Tudge might have deaf ears to Mr Cobalt, but uh, not all of us have, of course. And as Mr Morrison is finding out from a lot of very, very angry young ladies and old ladies around Australia, um, sometimes it it pays to actually listen. So uh, we're going to ask Sorrel to tell us what Trevor Cobalt has to say to Mr Tudge. Thank you, Sorrel. All right. Thank you, Jean. I will be reading about how Trevor Cobalt is telling us that disadvantage accelerates as private school funding rises to six times that of public schools over the decade. By 2029, public schools will be underfunded by $60 billion, private schools overfunded by $6 billion. In the decade leading up to 2019, private schools received an extra $2,164 per student, public schools just $334 per student. The huge cost to society as a result of such disadvantage include higher unemployment, poor health and low economic growth. But Minister Alan Tudge claims that the school funding wars are over. Education Minister Alan Tudge has now declared that the school funding wars are over, but they are only over in the minds of the Morrison government, which has demolished the Gonski fairer funding model and lavished billions more on private schools. The war is certainly not over for public schools, with new figures showing them falling further behind. Chronic underfunding of public schools presents huge costs to individual society and national economic prosperity. Between 2009 to 10 and 2018 to 19, 
Commonwealth and state government funding for private schools increased by more than six times that for public schools. Private school funding increased by $2,164 per student adjusted for inflation compared to $334 per student for public schools. The contrast is even worse in percentage terms. Funding per private school student increased by 22.4% compared to only 2.4% for public schools. That is nearly 10 times the increase for public schools. The Commonwealth government increased funding for both public and private schools. However, the increase for private schools was nearly double that than public schools, $1,943 per student compared to $994 per student in public schools. It's not only the federal government that's to blame here, it's the state governments as well, isn't it? State governments have also favoured private schools over public schools. All state governments, both Labor and the Liberal Nationals, took advantage of the extra Commonwealth funding to cut their own funding of public schools by an average of $660 per student. However, they increased their funding for private schools by an average of $221 per student. These new figures are drawn from the Report on Government Services in 2021, but are adjusted here to provide like comparisons between public and private schools and to adjust more accurately for cost inflation. Other government figures show that there is little prospect that public schools will be adequately funded over the next decade unless there is a dramatic change in Commonwealth and state government funding policies. Under the bilateral funding agreements between the Commonwealth and state governments, public schools in all states except the ACT will only ever be funded at 91% of their schooling resource standard, which is the total government funding that schools need to meet the educational needs of their students. The cumulative underfunding to 2029 is estimated at $60 billion. In contrast, private schools will be funded at more than 100% of their SRS until at least 2029 because of municipal special deals for private schools by the Morrison government and continuing overfunding by several state governments. The cumulative overfunding to 2029 is estimated at $6 billion. However, this is just the tip of the iceberg because flaws in the new direct income measure method of funding private schools mean that their financial need is overestimated and they receive much more government funding than is warranted. Well, those are pretty, um, pretty startling figures. And I think we have mentioned it before, haven't we? But we'll have a bit of a break and um, Dale will come back and point out what happened to the Gonski model? Dogs never necessarily went along with the Gonski model because no needs policies have ever been successful. But at least Gonski was prepared to give money to public schools because he was horrified at the state they were in in 2011. But we'll have a bit of a break now and uh, then we'll come back to a few more facts and figures. So it's up to us. The people, we need a treaty in this country. We need the end to the war in this country. And the only way we can do that is through a peace treaty. 
Not the one you see in Victoria, not the one you see in Queensland, not the one you see in the Northern Territory, because they talk treaty and still lock our people up. They still kill our people. They still desecrate our land and our water. A treaty means peace. A treaty means equality. And a treaty means justice. Thank you. Subscribe to 3CR in 2021. Feed Radical Radio. Subscribe today. Go to 3cr.org.au forward slash subscribe or call the station on 94198377. Well, welcome back to the Dogs Program. We have been talking about Mr Tudge and his tenure and his view that the funding wars in education have come to an end. And we have been looking at what Trevor Cobalt has to say about that proposition because I don't think that too many people would be in, in agreement with Mr Tudge and his wishful thinking. But now Dale is going to tell us about what happened to the Gonski needs policy under the careful eye of the coalition. Over to you, Dale. Thank you, Jean. Yes, so it's, it's gobsmacking when you hear him talk about how successful the SRS is when, the, when it's legislated that public schools will only ever receive 91% of it. You know how how he can bleat on about that being a success is is just is mind numbing. Anyway, uh, yes, onward and upward. Uh, the coalition waged war on the Gonski model. The dire straits of public school funding today is the result of the war waged by successive coalition governments against the Gonski funding plan to direct more government funding to those most in need. Education Minister Alan Tudge has been an active participant in all stages of the war. He opposed the Gonski plan at the outset because it would penalise Catholic and independent schools. He and his colleagues are fulfilling what Tony Abbott called the Liberal Party's proud history of funding independent and Catholic schools to protect them and ensure they continue to flourish. Tudge has even claimed that we have very good social mobility and social equity in our school system. It is so far from the truth as to be ludicrous. The PISA 2018 results show a three-year learning gap between 15-year-old students from high and low socioeconomic status families. Much higher proportions of high SES students complete Year 12 than low SES students. The vast majority of low SES and other disadvantaged students attend public schools. Only a small proportion attend private schools. Figures provided to Senate estimates by the Australian Curriculum and Reporting Authority show that 85% of low SES students attend public schools, compared to 12% in Catholic schools and only 4% in independent schools. More than 90% of disadvantaged schools in Australia are public schools. Moreover, an OECD report shows that Australia has one of the most segregated school systems in the OECD and the world. Australia had the equal largest increase in social segregation in the OECD and the world since
since 2006. Government education and funding policies are major factors behind the increase in social segregation. All this demonstrates severe social inequity in schools. The flagrant favouritism in funding in private schools can only be described as outrageous and obscene. It makes, virtually Im it, makes it virtually impossible to reduce the achievement gap between the most disadvantaged and advantaged students. Society pays a huge price. The failure to address disadvantage in education presents huge costs to society, including higher unemployment, low earnings, poor health and low economic growth. The pattern is all too familiar as other government policies, such as housing, which purposefully favour the already better off and contribute to stagnating economic productivity and growth. School Funding policies de desperately need to change if our economy is going to thrive, especially in the wake of the corona recession. Increased funding for public schools is fundamental to improved education outcomes for disadvantaged students because it provides the human and material resources needed to make a difference in learning. This is supported by numerous overseas and Australian studies and most recently by a comprehensive analysis of the most rigorous studies of the relationship between school funding and student outcomes. Tudge is in a dream world if he thinks the fight for a well-funded public school system is over. The fight for equity and justice in school funding and education will continue. Thank you, Dale. We've got a common enemy. The same government that locks up these refugees just behind us here at the Park Hotel is the same government that's going for our rights, trying to attack the very limited gains that casuals have. And so when union activists take up the cause of refugees amongst their fellow workers, it's not an act of charity. It's about building workers' united self-defence mechanism, understanding that we're all part of the same battle. Subscribe to 3CR in 2021. Feed Radical Radio. Subscribe today. Go to 3cr.org.au forward slash subscribe or call the station on 94198377. Well, we've been looking at Mr. Tudge uh, and the dogs program this week and uh, his tin ear and his belief his strange, strange belief that the funding education wars are over. Uh, we've seen that Trevor Cobalt, who is a Saved Our Schools advocate, a uh, parent of a state school parent of children, um, he disagrees with Mr Tudge, and so does the AEU, because only this week, on Wednesday, they came out with a press release, Every School, Every Child School Funding Campaign. And Oliver's going to tell us about it. Over to you, Oliver. The Australian Education Union has launched a new campaign calling for federal politicians to ensure every school is provided the resources it needs to ensure every child gets the best education, regardless of their background or circumstances. Unveiled before Parliament House in Canberra today, the Every School, Every Child campaign imagines the positive difference if every school was provided with the full funding they need for every child to succeed, asking all political parties to 
fund public schools to a minimum of 100% of the schooling resource standard, which is recognized as the minimum funding requirement to give every child, regardless of their background, the greatest opportunity to achieve their full potential, including fully funded loadings for students with disabilities, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander students, students from low SES backgrounds, rural and remote students, and students requiring English language support. Remove the legislated 20% cap on the Commonwealth share of the SRS for public schools. Remove four, the 4% capital depreciation tax in school funding bilateral agreements and establish a capital fund for public schools to help meet rising enrollment growth and infrastructure needs. Across Australia, public schools are making a significant difference in the lives of Australian children, helping to level the playing field, overcome disadvantage and achieve excellence for all. That's despite governments failing to properly and fairly fund public schools. Federal school funding legislation and bilateral funding agreements between the Commonwealth, state and territory governments mean that, mean that less than half of public schools will reach 95% of the SRS by 2023, denying public schools the vital resources needed for their students and entrenching school funding equality, inequality rather, across Australia. A report by economist Adam Roris has calculated the overall funding shortfall at $27 billion over the next four years. In addition, with the federal government providing zero capital funding to public schools, the Roris report showed that the cumulative capital investment gap between public and private schools was $21.5 billion from 2013 to 2018. The Every School, Every Child campaign will target political parties to secure public school funding commitments and mobilize school communities, including teachers, principals, support staff, parents, and community members, in the lead up to the next federal election to ensure that the broader community understands the importance of properly funding public schools for Australia's children. To join the campaign and make sure public schools are funded properly and fairly, to give every child the opportunity for a bright future, register at www everyschooleverychild.org.au. Well, thank you very much, uh, Oliver. Uh, so the AEU are a bit upset too, and there could be, you never know, there could be a federal election this year, and certainly into next, uh, this year, into next year, we might have one. So they're gearing up for um, a campaign early, and there's every evidence that the coalition has actually got some problems of not listening to the ordinary voters of Australia. And remember, 66% of children in Australia go to public schools, and that is a majority of parents and ex-students for that matter, who have the vote. But we'll have a bit of a break and we'll come back to do some uh, learning about what goes on in Finlay. Well, brothers and sisters, what a show of strength we've got here today. Local issues. So I'm here at the school, kids strike for climate action. Live coverage. Join the, the spirit of this gathering here today at IMARC. Your voices. So give us a bit of a lowdown about what's happening. There's about 200, 200 people here at the moment. Community struggles. We're now in front of the uh, Tundaminawaya Mōbōhina Monument. I'd like to thank Community Radio 3CR, who for the last decade has been broadcasting here. 
Feed Radical Radio, your membership is vital. A few hundred people about to pass us right now. Lots of young people standing up for their future. Subscribe today. Go to 3cr.org.au forward slash subscribe or call the station on 9419 8377. For an easy way to keep up with your annual 3CR subscription, you can now set up an annual debit from your bank account or credit card, and once a year your payment will be automatically deducted. You can cancel at any time and you'll get a reminder each year before payment. Be a constant supporter of Melbourne's precious independent community radio station and set up a recurring payment today. Just go to 3cr.org.au forward slash subscribe. And welcome back to the Dogs Program. You're listening to the Dogs on 3CR, 855 AM, 3cr.org.au or 3CR Digital in Melbourne. And now we're going to throw over to Sorrel, who's got some information about schooling in Finland which proves that education equity is and excellence is possible. Over to you Sorrel. All right thank you so much Dale. So in Finland education is a basic civil right. In this post Passy Salberg and William Doyle will respond to a recent article that pitted civil rights groups against advocates for the Finnish model of education. They found the dichotomy puzzling. They wrote this article for the blog. Two decades ago, Finland made big news in international education circles. Against all odds, it became a top performer in OECD's first PISA, Program for International Student Assessment Study, that compared 15-year-olds' knowledge and skills in reading, mathematical and scientific literacies. Since about 2010, Education experts and pundits in the United States have debated whether there is anything at all that American school systems could learn from that small Nordic nation's school system. Ten years on, and these debates are still raging. In their March 15, 2021 essay, Finland Meets Civil Rights, Professor Jarl Mehta and co-author Krista Gallerberg make good points, including we can draw on Finnish lessons while making them more relevant to our complex, multiracial and systemically inequitable context and build shared responsibility instead of finger pointing, policies based in trust instead of distrust and schools where black and brown students thrive instead of merely survive. But in framing their argument, Meta and Gallerberg make the curious claim that since the beginning of the No Child Left Behind era, there has been a schism between what you might think of as the Finland folks and much of the civil rights community, particularly its policy and legal advocates. We are aware of no such schism, they write. 
we are curious to know which civil rights advocates would oppose the key foundations of the Finnish education system that are adaptable to the American context, such as comprehensive health services for every child and mother from birth, teachers trained and respected as professionals, free healthy school lunches for all, regular play and physical activity as part of every school's work plan, smaller class sizes, early individualized special education support throughout schooling, equitable funding of schools, universal early childhood education and care as a basic right of every child, and a highly collaborative school that strives to integrate students of different capabilities and backgrounds. According to Meta and Gallaberg, accountability in the US has historically been promoted by civil rights advocates and bemoaned by the Finland folks. In fact, the opposite is true in Finland, which places the highest national emphasis on accountability based on trust and constant productive dialogue between highly professional teachers, children, parents, and policymakers. Moreover, Meta and Gallaberg also fail to explain to their readers that in Finland, all schools and teachers operate under professional responsibility that expands far beyond the typical punitive vertical accountability mechanisms that are typical in US education administration. What Finland does not do is waste time or money on so-called test-based accountability or basing its school system on the low quality, expensive and ineffective governing metric of the universal standardized testing of children as the United States has done under Presidents Bush, Obama and Trump and it seems to be continuing under President Biden, despite his clear campaign promise to stop it. Instead, the performance of Finland's education system is monitored by multiple measures that include state-led sample-based standardized student assessments and locally managed school self-evaluations and peer reviews. The verdict is in on test-based accountability. It doesn't work. 20 years of it has achieved little to no sustained improvement in reading and math outcomes or in reducing achievement gaps in the United States, which were its main objectives. Today, the main driving forces behind doubling down on this failure are not civil rights organizations, but under-informed philanthropists, politicians, and business leaders. We also found claims by Meta and Gallaberg that even today, educational reforms in Finland are framed as part of the country's national defense plan and excellent education for all is part of the nation's response to Russian aggression. Strange and without factual basis. It is a mistake to believe that Finland's educational policies are designed primarily to serve economic or national security interests. Furthermore, arguing that educational equity is therefore not treated as a national security imperative in the United States, as it is in Finland, is simply not true. Promoting equity and social justice through education in all Nordic countries is based on human rights imperatives before anything else. Certainly something that any civil rights advocate in the United States would wholeheartedly support. The main lesson of Finland for any nation is that it is possible and indeed necessary to strive for both excellence and equity for all students. According to recent data from the OECD, Finland achieves both the highest efficiency 
of all the developed world's education systems as measured by hours of study and learning outcomes and the least performance variation between schools. The neighbourhood school is the best school is a mantra often heard in Finland, and it is a reality that is widely achieved. Finland has deliberately designed its education system from primary school to higher education on the values and principles of equal rights to education. Finland upgraded the teaching profession in the 1980s to serve that purpose so that each and every child would have a great public school in their neighborhood. In the context of civil rights, Finland is the ultimate American school system. The landmark Brown versus Board of Education US Supreme Court case of 1954 declared racial segregation in public schools to be unconstitutional. But it also stipulated in its order that public education is a right which must be made available to all on equal terms. That simple, beautiful phrase is settled national policy in the United States, but it has never been fully honoured. Those words should be symbolically carved onto the entranceways of every school, legislature and education ministry on earth. In Finland, they already are. So Passi Salberg is a Finnish educator who has researched and examined education policies in Finland and the United States. His book, Finnish Lessons, What Can the World Learn from Educational Change in Finland, published by the Teachers College Press, won the 2013 Mayer Award issued by the University of Louisville for an idea that has potential to change the world. He is currently a professor of education policy at UNSW Sydney. The other author, William Doyle, has served as a Fulbright Scholar in Finland as a lecturer at Finland's largest teacher training university and an advisor to the Ministry of Education and Culture of Finland. In the last three years, he has been a public school father in New York City and Tokyo and currently in Helsinki, where he lives with his family. Salberg and Doyle are co-authors of Let the Children Play for the learning, well-being and life success of every child. It's very interesting. It reminds me of what we were talking to Mick Lawrence about a couple of weeks ago because he's, as our listeners would be aware, a great advocate for getting Australian teachers to learn from uh, their Finnish counterparts. Uh, It's interesting. He mentioned that when the teachers asked him about standardised testing in Australia, they said, are all your students the same? And he said, no. And they said, well, why would you give them all the same test? There's no yeah. there's no way that that can be indicative of anything other than a student being good at taking a test. Yeah, 100%. Also, it's interesting because uh, he mentioned that if you or I were to immigrate to uh, Finland, we'd be allowed to access university education for free. And uh, an English-speaking paper tried to drum up a bit of nationalism there, saying, why are we paying for these immigrants' degrees? And the Finnish people quickly snapped back by saying, it's proven that if you're an immigrant and you get a degree here, you then go on to contribute at least five to ten years back into Finnish society. So it is good for society to make education available to all. So uh, there's some amazing, I just find it incredible that uh, someone can use a term like 
systemic inequality when talking about their own school system and consider that even to be okay as something to maintain as part of a system. If it's systemically inequitable, then there's something wrong with the system. So, uh, and the dogs were lucky enough to go along and listen to Passy Salberg speak when he was at Trades Hall a couple of years ago. We played that on the on the program, and uh, he's incredibly articulate. But um, I would also recommend listeners to uh, check out uh, Michael Lawrence's book, uh, Testing Three Two One: What Australian Education Can Learn from Finland. And he's also setting up these professional development sessions for teachers who want to learn how they can incorporate some of these ideas into the classroom without having to wait for the government to get on board. Exactly, exactly. And isn't that a great idea? You know, the change will definitely come from the ground up. And, you know, teachers are on ground zero and it would be so great if they were involved. But, you know, the change will happen with a new government or a government that actually understands what equity is. And but- in the meantime, it is wonderful that we have the Finns to help us. Well, at least to set an example, yeah. And I, I think it's I think it's quite unfortunate that uh, teachers who are already get, there's a lot of teacher bashing in Australia. They cop a lot mm-hmm. of flack, un, like quite unfairly. And Alan Tudge himself in in what we heard earlier, him him talking about uh, how the problem isn't with the funding, it's what happens in the classroom. Again, that's another way to, of teacher bashing. And I don't it think... Is. It is. Isn't that a load? It, it, it's not fair. They've already got a hell of a lot of the heavy lifting to do, especially in public schools. And yeah. it's unfortunate that they have to take on even more. They have to take it on themselves to take part in these professional development sessions uh, oh, 100%. Yeah. Because it's not government funded, there, there was, it's not being set yeah. up by the government, it's not yeah, being it's funded extra. by the It is, it's more work that they have to do. But teachers, if you become a teacher, it's because you want to become a teacher, you want to become yes. an educator. And so more often than not, teachers do go above and beyond. Well, it's so hard because these teachers are working in a system that doesn't work. And we need... It doesn't uh, matter how hard they work mm-hmm. if the system doesn't work. That's it. Well, and especially when in a, in a public school, you are constantly legislated to be underfunded. While yes. uh, and it's interesting because Michael, when I, I was, I had a great conversation with him, and and he was saying that uh, he said he was at a school and all of these wonderful things were happening. These students were engaged, the teachers were inspired, and he said to the teachers in the staff room, he said, uh, "So, oh, this." Obviously, this is a good school, but what's a bad school like? And they looked at him askance because they said there are no bad schools. All schools are the same. All schools are this quality, you know. So there's none, none of this. That beautiful? Well, it's, it's what can happen when a, a, a government apparatus actually wants its education system to work for all of the children and isn't so overtly skewed towards the privileged elite. And that is what yeah. we have in Australia. We have a form of segregation that is just as insidious and destructive as racism. It's a, it's a sick, sad situation. It does involve extreme segregation. It is the government propping up kids that are probably going to work in government. So they just want to keep it in some weird 
um, elitist family. Also, as we learned before, uh, propping it up to their own detriment because the kids that are going to these overfunded private schools aren't doing better. No. We're we're all falling behind. And Cobalt makes the point that um, children in the rich private schools uh, that do do well would succeed in any circumstances because of the circumstances in which they live, i.e. their high socioeconomic status families as well as families whereby education is important to the parents. There's a direct correlation between how a child does in education and how important education is to the parents. And I remember the AEU had a really interesting conference last year where Doug Cameron made the point that the whole idea of equity of opportunity is a furphy. It's it's a lie because you cannot tell me that any amount of money is going to make a poor kid in Mount Druitt have the same access to the opportunity of education as a kid of a QC in the eastern suburbs of Sydney. Hmm. There's just no Hmm. way that there's going to be that same equity of opportunity and that's what we're up against in this country. But we'll have a quick break and then we'll be back um, with a good news story to finish off the program. Uh, We will be back with a great state school. Every week on the Doctor Program we have a special segment to show a different state school is a great school. State schools are great schools. School of the week. State school. School of the school. week. Great state schools. State, state schools. schools. School are of the week. Schools. School for the week here on the Dogs Program. It is my absolute pleasure to tell everybody about our great state school of the week. This is a segment that our late and great beloved Robert Ely used to take, and um, it's my honour to be able to continue that tradition. Right, so our great state school of this week is Wandong Primary School. I'm very fond of Wandong myself. Have you ever been, Dale? Tell us about it, Maddie. (laughs) Right, well, in Wandong, there is a lovely little primary school And Wandong is a very historic suburb on the outskirts of Melbourne. It's surrounded by farms and and you can see hills for days. The town narrowly survived the bushfires of 2009 and the community is fiercely supportive of their local institutions, including the school. According to the My School website, there are 447 pupils who attend this school. 7% of these children have parents whose income is in the upper 25%, 20% are solidly middle class, 38% in the third quartile, and 25% are poor and disadvantaged. So it's a pretty even spread. It is. It is really even. And um, not unsurprisingly, the ICSEA value, which is the socioeconomic assessment level. As we still call it, the ICSEA value. (laughs) Ixia Uh, value of the school is below the average of 1,000 and is 987. That's your absolute average is 1,000. Yes, yes, and it would um, definitely come down to the community and the teachers in particular, I would say. 
Um, so this is a school with a fairly large number of disadvantaged children enrolled, but with a goodly representation of the whole community, including 5% of Indigenous children and 4% of the children with a language other than English. Um, the NAP plan results for this whole school are average. The only thing requiring a bit more work is spelling. So the teachers here with minimal resources are keeping what the federal minister, Mr. Tudge, would call the standards well up. Those are the bare facts. What about the um, on the ground reports on this school? For these, you can pick up the vibes from a local news sheet available from the Wandong Bakery. And as those who know anything know, in country Victoria, the local bakery is where you get a great meal and find things out. Uh, their pies and pasties are also incredible. Uh, from this impressive booklet, you discover that the children were very excited to get back to school and there was a curriculum day which provided all the staff with knowledge, skills and understanding of the school's approach to school-wide positive behaviour. It's a whole school approach to creating an environment which encourages effective learning through the development of a positive, calm and welcoming atmosphere, uh, which I think are all in really important attributes when coming to a community school. Um, they are honourable aims, but if you speak to the parents, they will tell you they're not meaningless for the teachers at Wandong. The most interesting thing about this school is that the language they are teaching the children in this school is Auslan, which is Australian Sign Language. Isn't that awesome? And already in Term 1, children are able to sign their own name. And on World Hearing Day, the 3rd of March, the school highlighted how important it is for interventions to help stop hearing loss in the community. So this is not only a public primary school doing its job, including children from a wide range of parental income and backgrounds in our outer Melbourne community. It is a public school teaching the children to care about others in their community and giving them the tools to assist others. I'd just like to congratulate all of the teachers at this school for doing such a great job. Congratulations, Wandong. You are our Great State School of the Week. For three years, teachers have had their qualifications, their pay, their pensions and their working conditions attacked relentlessly by this government. I'm a proud product of a government-funded primary school education and of a government-funded secondary school education. Australia is one of the richest and luckiest countries in the world and there's no reason whatsoever why we can't have the very best public schools in the world. It's still not good enough that kids with disability miss out. Our education is not for profit. Our education is not for profit. You're listening to The Dogs, the defence of government schools on 3CR. And we've just about run out of time on the dogs today. Uh, thank you for listening. If you'd like to find out more about the professional development sessions that Mick Lawrence has set up with Tempera University in Finland, if you're a teacher and like to take part, you can find out more at his website. It's uh, Mick 
Lawrence, that's Michael Lawrence, M-I-C-K-L-A-W-R-E-N-C-E dot com. Or there's a Facebook group that's called What Australian Education Can Learn From Finland. You can join that group and find out more about the education, the professional development sessions. But um, if you'd like to find out more about the dogs, uh, find read our press releases or download a podcast of a previous program, you can go to our website at www.adogs.info. That's www.adogs.info. But that's it for us this week. We'll be back next week. It's bye for now. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.